Well, good morning, everybody. If I have not met you yet, I'm Shay Ryinga. I look forward to meeting you soon. Welcome. It is always a privilege to worship with you. As we kick off, at least for this, for our service here in the well, our first sermon series together. So it's been fun and for the unseeable future, I hope it continues, but I'm not bringing the whole series to an end. Pastor David later this afternoon and tomorrow for Christmas Eve at two, four, six, and eight today and 10, two, four, six, eight, 10 tomorrow. He's gonna bring our sermon series, This is Christmas, to a close. So just to be mindful of those times, if you're planning to attend with family or friends or invite new folks, definitely want you to be mindful of those times. But for us here, this is our last week for this particular sermon series called This is Christmas, where we spent week one talking about all our traditions, um, important, obviously, in Christmas times and the meaningfulness of our traditions. Week two was about kids. It's hard not to think about children at Christmas and their joy, their exuberance, their innocence, their purity. We talked about trees last week, namely Jesus's family tree, that we are, we complete Jesus's family tree. We, the church, are an, ex, are an extension, an adopted family of Jesus's family tree. And today, we're talking about Christmas food. Christmas food. So who's looking, for, are we looking forward to some, some meals, some recipes, yes, some special food that we don't get all that often? Uh, that we make this time of year. So I know uh, food is a big deal. We eat a lot of it. And for us this morning, I have this little prop that's a spinning plate. It's a little cheap. I thought I'd break it if it was glass. So um, we're going to eat a proverbial meal together or allow food to talk a little bit this morning as we look at... um, We all eat bread at Christmas, so I feel like that's a common one. Uh, We're going to Brussels sprouts. We're going to go through some Brussels sprouts. We're going to go through some tamales and some fish and some dessert. And I think food, you know, there's that phrase, you are what you eat. So food symbolizes, it has a bearing on our state of mind, our health. It says a lot about us. And for us this morning, we're going to let it signify a little bit more as we have a little fun and I don't know. It'll be fun going through some Christmas food. So let's start with bread because I feel like that's the most that we have in common. This is an eclectic plate. I don't know that we're all going to eat these foods when we gather for family Christmas, but we're all going to eat bread. Who doesn't love bread? I mean, no offense, but maybe we should have a special service of healing for our gluten intolerant folks. I feel bad. I feel really, really bad for you. I love, love, love bread. I mean, just a meal of bread, a little baguette with some balsamic vinegar and olive oil and hey, I'm good. We love bread. We eat a lot of bread. Um, It's one of those foods that if you had bread and water and nothing else, you could live a pretty long time. Like potatoes are that way. If you had potatoes, if you had no other food but potatoes and water, you could live a pretty long time. And bread, this beautiful sourdough loaf, it's actually really basic and simple. It's just flour, water, salt. Everything's better with salt, so we'll throw salt in there. Real basic. So bread can signify our basic need for food. But in our culture, in our time, bread and food, it's it's not something, we're not connected as much to the need, right? It's something that we have. It's something we possess. We manufacture it. We create all kinds of things to eat. It isn't really food. It's just 
things. I don't know. It's, it's complex. Like you can't even pronounce some of what it is when you look at the ingredients. So we've, we've kind of disconnected food and, and our basic need for food in our time and in our place. And food and bread represents for us that basic need. And that when we're disconnected from that need, then we fail to realize that there's a giver, there's a provider, there's a sustainer for our food when it's something that we just have, when it's something that's ours, when it's something that we possess. We fail to recognize the truth when that's our relationship with food. And we also then fail to, to recognize that there's actually something more than food that we need. As we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 here. Now, We've got a whole plate here, so we've got several scripture passages. So I invite, we're going to have the, the, sermon, the scriptures on the screen. You're, of course, invited to follow along in the Blue Bibles in front of you or on your phone app, but we're going to have a few passages this morning. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus needs to eat. He's famished and, and the devil is poking it at the heart of our dependency here. Israel was in the desert 40 days and 40 nights and was disobedient. Jesus is embodying this. He's embodying Israel's story. We talked about that last week for 40 days and 40 nights and he's hungry, he's dependent and the devil's poking around and, is quoting and knows scripture, knows that manna was given in the wilderness to Israel, manna from heaven. He knows water from a rock occurred. And Jesus is about to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Like he can definitely turn these stones into bread. But see, Jesus is a greater interpreter of scripture. And so what he says here, what we get in Jesus's response is part of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And I'm going to read that whole verse for us so we get the context here. It, it says, he humbled you so Moses in Deuteronomy is saying, he, God, humbled you, Israel, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the devil is trying to separate our need for food from the word of God. He's trying to separate that and he's done a pretty good job of doing that for us today, I would imagine. And the issues that we deal with, the ancients dealt with too, that if we could just feed people, we could buy their obedience. If we just made their stomachs full, then they'll follow, then they'll do God's will. And we're signs of that, aren't we? We're good signs of that, us who, which we have, right? Our relationship with food is, is that. He's, he's saying all these things. He's feeding into the lie that's so common today that if we just had enough resources and could just get everybody fed and, and solve that world hunger problem, then our world will be a better place. But Jesus is saying, no, that's backwards. That we must live before, before we're fed. We, are, we need to be nourished by God's word, which comes before all things, right? Out of God's speech comes everything. And that, that we've got to be dependent 
dependent on God's word. That's, that's the real issue because our heart won't break for the problems of the world. Our heart won't break for those in need. We won't be motivated to use our money and our time and our resources to, to solve some of these things. If God doesn't change us, if his word doesn't make a difference and impact our lives and if he doesn't give us a vision, that is what we need. And Jesus responds to some folks asking this question. They kind of want that sign. They want their sort of their obedience is up for sale. They want sort of a sign to know who Jesus really is and what they're supposed to do. And in the gospel of John chapter 6, verse 34, these people ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They're asking to Jesus, what will you do? How will we really know? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. These folks want a sign too. They, they want a very clear sign. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And we learn then in the gospel of John that Jesus does. He, he is the bread of life. He always gives us this bread. And we remember that and we embrace that and we believe that in a powerful way through communion. So bread's full of pretty filling. So uh, we've probably eaten too much bread. We can't eat too much bread. Who can eat too much bread? So we'll move on to Brussels sprouts. We'll move on and we'll get Brussels sprouts over with, right? Because some of us may have to hold our nose through the Brussels sprouts. That was a trick my mom used to teach us as we, as kids, you know, sometimes you don't want to eat the healthy stuff and the good stuff that you're supposed to eat. So it was like, hold your nose and just, it's good for you. It'll be okay. So Brussels sprouts, it's one of those fad vegetables. A few years ago, it was kale and then it was sweet potatoes. And now Brussels sprouts are in the spotlight. And now as I've, as I've gotten to be older, I love Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, grilled Brussels sprouts with some olive oil and salt. Of course, salt makes everything better. Um, delicious. But for us, it may be one of those foods that it's like chickpea salad or some other kind of salad or vegetable. It's an acquired taste to enjoy at Christmas. It requires trying something new. And how many of us like to try new things at Christmas time? I mean, I hope we do, because I think trying new things is a sign of maturity. But we don't often like trying new things, especially when it comes to like familiar foods that we're really looking forward to and we don't want to maybe ruin it. We come up with all excuses, right? Not to try the new thing. Like, I don't want it to spoil my, like everything else or the texture. Like for me, if I see a food that looks like it could have the texture of like tapioca pudding, I'm out. I'm not going to do it. How many foods honestly have the texture of tapioca pudding? I don't, but you get what I mean. Like I'm even guilty of it. I'll avoid certain foods because like texturally that it may, uh, that's great, thanks. But no, I'm not gonna try it. So, so Brussels sprouts for us is, is that a required taste. It's this assigning, uh, we, we've got to try new things to mature and like baby Max and how we react to those things we don't really like. His little taste buds, he makes sure you know 
well and good by spewing it from his mouth when he doesn't like something. And wouldn't it be kind of funny if it was socially acceptable for adults to react that way when we didn't like something? No. That's gross and disgusting. And even this, our, our, as we get older, we try to disguise it in our way of just like, you know. It's not that subtle. Still kind of disrespectful and juvenile, even, even the, the napkin trick, right? So all silliness aside, trying something new is a sign of maturity. And how we respond and react to those things we don't like or those people we don't like is, is also a sign and shows how mature we are. Here's a real basic verse from 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the message we sang in every song. We should love one another. Loving your family at Christmas might be a new thing you need to try. And you know the people I'm talking about? Like, not the ones you're looking forward to seeing. You know what I mean? Like, that may be the new thing we need to try this year. Those, those family members that we avoid, because all of our family's different. Many of us have lots of step family, lots of in-laws, aunts, uncles, cousins, these friends that gather that are like family to us, but to some of the other family, they're not like family. And we don't like that they show up at Christmas time, and that's an issue. And so maybe there's some people in our own family we, we need to learn how to love, because love isn't sentimental, you know, this love of the gospel. It's, it's about sacrifice. It's, it's bold. Sometimes grace is confrontational. So we may have to address that nagging misbehavior that we've put up with every single year. They, they bring in their mess every single year, and no one's ever said anything about it. Everyone just kind of assumes that's just the way they're always going to be, so we just let it lie. And so maybe, maybe loving our family in new ways is what we're called to do this Christmas. And some of us have traditions that we've always done with our family members, but our family has changed. It's either grown or it's shrunk. And we might have to ask some new family to do some things we don't really want to ask. It's like, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to take that bite. Afraid it's not going to taste good. But sometimes we've got to do what we don't want to do because it's the right thing to do, you know? And that doing something new and loving even our own family in new ways is a sign of growth. It's a sign of maturity. All right. I think it's tamale time. Anybody ever do Tex-Mex or Mexican Christmas? Anybody? No? Yes? Oh, sweet. See, that's, that's what I thought. So week one, I asked, you know, we were asking all the traditions, like what, what do you guys do? When do you open presents? What do you eat? What's the main protein on the plate? That sort of stuff. And uh, we were, we were, I was getting, I was diagnosed in the room a little bit and I figured, I figured there had to be some Tex-Mex, some, some Mexican Christmas here. My mother-in-law is from Harlingen, Texas in the Valley and grew up eating tamales at Christmas. And she still has to buy some tamales from somebody in the valley every Christmas. She buys them because she's making a lot of other food. She didn't have time to make them. Because, you know, tamales, I, I've, I've never made them from scratch, but it seems like they take a long time to make if you make them from scratch. And it seems like if you're making them from scratch and there's only one person doing it, it probably will take all day, I think. Maybe. And if you've maybe got two hands and another set of two hands and maybe a, th a third set, you could probably get it done in much shorter time. But you got to like prepare the husks 
and you've, you've got to work out your fillings. How many fillings are you going to make? You got to you got to work out and prepare all the masa dough. And then you've got to form the tamales. And then they've got to steam for a long time. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Making tamales is a practice in patience and waiting. And who has patience left? And who has time to wait at Christmas? Like, it's, we used up all our patience and waiting getting to Christmas. That's what we've been waiting for. And so we get all uptight and frantic when, when a family member doesn't show up when they're supposed to show up. And okay, I didn't get this done, so I'm gonna frantically try to get what, what I didn't get done done until they show up. And we missed an ingredient, so we send someone out for an errand and they didn't call. We gave them specific instructions. If they couldn't find the ingredient to call us, they haven't called us, they're not here, and the food's not done, and the bread's supposed to rise, have risen by now, and the bread is not rising. In 2021, Jesus is coming at Christmas. When people get ready, Jesus is coming. And it's not a rapture prediction. I'm not saying the second coming is 2021. This isn't that kind of church. 2021, Christmas falls on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, on the day of rest. In about six or seven years, this happens. Every six or seven years or so. And we're reminded, there's a lot that's outside of our control. We're not in control of time. And that even at Christmas, we're not meant to work ourselves and busy ourselves to death. Like even at Christmas. Even at Christmas, we're not. And so even when Christmas falls on the Sabbath, right, I don't imagine any of us ever giving that whole day up to rest, right? As it's Christmas. A lot of stuff to do. But in the midst of the things that we have to do, we can have moments where we rest, where we wait. Maybe loving our family some, some, some new way this year means we actually let them cook something that we normally cook. And it allows us to rest. It allows us to not be frantic. It allows us to be present. Those tamales, they take like over an hour to steam. So just rest and wait and be with family. So this leads nicely to our protein of choice is fish. And again, the reason I chose fish, I know fish may not be a lot of proteins on the table at Christmas time, but y'all said it wasn't a lot of ham for y'all week one. You said there wasn't a lot of turkey week one. I know for some of you it is. It was other, but we didn't really get in the weeds as to what other is. So other, I'm sure, could be pork tenderloin or chicken or some other bird. Or I know once upon a time, oysters used to be a thing, I think, at Christmas time. So maybe, I don't know, you have some seafood food. That sounds like it'd be difficult too. Um, but fish, we'll go with fish. I'm a, from a family of avid fishermen and like vegetables, it's something I've learned to enjoy later in life. And there's a lot of funny stories of me and fishing as a child that over the years I'm sure you'll hear. But fish is one of those ingredients that's delicate. It doesn't take a lot of time to cook, you know. It, it takes careful attention so you can get back to family. So fish for us can signify some quality time. And at Christmas, there's special people. It's a special time. So we can let fish signify this quality time. 
I had a mentor meeting this week with Reverend Brian Dalco. It's our first mentor meeting. We're getting to know each other. Had to drive to Waco, which was a little inconvenient. As much as I like Waco, um, we're getting to know one another. And he asked me about my call to ministry and where that came from. And I told him it actually came from Waco, Texas and, and serving the church there. And I talked about my, my pastor, my mentor friend, Kyle Lake. And he was asking me, how is it now in your ministry now, how are you trying to live into your call? And I thought about that. And something that came to mind that Kyle really taught me is, is trying to be present. And I, I said, you know, I fail more often than not at this, but one of the things I try to do I try to do is even in the mundane, the seemingly insignificant moments, the diaper changes and some of the chores and some of the meal prep, I try to make sure all the switches are turned on, like all, the, all my senses, you know, that I'm, that I'm present, that I'm engaged. And he talked about how he has an 11-month-old son and that he's not around much. He doesn't give his family and his son the quantity of time that he'd like to. So, so he said, you know, when I'm home, I'm not just around. I'm there. I'm there. And I think for some of us, we're in and out. We're in and out at Christmas. Or we've spent a lot of time in one place. Significant amount of time. But we're just around. You know, in Mark chapter 5, there's this massive crowd, like, crowding around Jesus. And he's by the lake. It's almost like the way scripture, the gospel of Mark reads, it's like he's pinned to the lake. And it's hard. Have you ever been in a big crowd, like maybe at a concert, where, yeah, you didn't want to pay the extra money for a seat, so you did general admission, and you're in that big crowd, and people are bumping into you, and, and you feel people, like, touching your shoulder, and, oh, there's something wet, and it's just, you don't want to know what's around you, really. It's just, it's disorienting, and there's a lot of people and and there's a lot of people around Jesus and this man named Jairus gets to him and gets on his knees and begs for him to save and heal his daughter and so Jesus starts to follow Jairus and this whole crowd is just crowding around him and he's in the midst of this big crowd and then there's this lady that touches Jesus's clothes doesn't even touch him touches his clothes and he notices He notices. She just touches his clothes and he notices. And because he notices, we learn that she didn't just touch his clothes, that, that this was an act. This was an a, incredible act of faith because she's been hemorrhaging most of her life and bleeding and spent all her money, all of her money on doctors, trying to get well, trying to get better. And she believed if she could just touch Jesus' clothes that she, she'd be healed because she believed he was the Messiah. So Jesus was never just around, you know? He's never just around. So now, it's time for dessert. Can the kids say, what, what? Dessert, Christmas time, desserts. Which one, right? How many family gatherings do you have? And what's, I mean, which one? There's how many desserts? Cakes and sweetbreads and cookies and candy and all the desserts. Christmas, we have all the desserts at Christmas. All of it. 
And, you know, we could talk a lot about our overindulgence. We could talk a lot about excessive quantity. We could make ourselves feel guilty about having too much of a good thing or make you sick. It's unhealthy. And we may have to put earmuffs on our kids from what I'm about to say. But look, you can feel guilty some other time. This is Christmas. Eat all the desserts, right? Eat all the desserts. This is Christmas. We can be strict with ourselves at New Year's. We can be strict with ourselves then, and maybe then we want to think about some of those things. But this is Christmas, like sovereign, almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, came to be with us. He left his seat on the throne of grace, the throne of glory. He leaves that seat to come sit with us in the dirt. He came to show us that we need his word. We need his presence before we need to eat. We need to patiently wait for things to happen, not in our time, but in God's time. He came to show us, right, to be fully awake and fully alive so we don't miss the big things he's doing right in our midst. He came to show us how to love and that love isn't sentimental. Love is bold. Love is sacrificial. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love may mean you got to love family you don't want to love. He came to show us that some things are worth celebrating with all the desserts, with all the desserts, like weddings and baby showers and especially Christmas. So Merry Christmas everybody. And I want to invite the band. I want to invite the band up. We're going to close the message with prayer, but I want us to pray together this psalm. It's Psalm 34, 1 to 8. And this, this was the passage that really inspired sort of this, seri- this, this sermon on Christmas food. So I want us to pray this together if you'll join me. I will extol the Lord or bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's say that again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One more time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen.